Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Episode 22 here on the podcast, and today we are joined by assistant coach Steve Lutz. Steve's the newest member of our staff here. Uh, Steve, welcome aboard, first of all, to not only the program, but the, the your initial appearance on the podcast. Thanks, guys. I'm excited. I knew. Uh, I know this was a big deal. I know he's, Steve's been begging me, Larry, for weeks to get on this podcast, ever since he came aboard. So, Who's Larry? <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard anybody call you Larry. Well, that's the reason. That's the reason why you haven't been on the podcast. Okay. No, the uh, the uh, we do have people lining up, as you know, Coach. So it's we appreciate you taking the time and being here. That's and part of it is, I think Steve heard about the wonderful gift basket that all the guests get, and so I think he was enamored with that. So we're happy to have him on. Um, when we get started here, as we tape this, we are days away from. Um, getting on a plane and heading across uh, the, this globe <coughs> to Taipei for the World University Games. Um, and I wanted to, before we get into your background and things like that, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on prior to this trip is uh, you're logging some miles uh, this month. Between July and August, this guy's putting in some miles. So uh, for all the listeners, it, July is the recruiting month in the, in the college basketball world. So our entire staff was out 15 days in the month of July recruiting different parts of the country. And then when that was over, uh, Coach Lutz jumped on a plane and went over to Europe. So talk about, first of all, where you were in that experience, but also why you were able to go to this event this year, because this is the first or second year that college coaches are allowed to do this. Yeah, so the third period in July for us usually uh, culminates in Orlando or in Las Vegas, and uh, each of those events has, you know, three to 5,000 teams there. So after Las Vegas, I went from uh, Vegas to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to Tallinn, Estonia, and I was in Tallinn for two days at the Division B of the European World Championships for the under-18 division. Um, Then I flew from Estonia to Slovakia, and uh, I was at the Division A's of the under-18 European World Championships. So basically, it would be like um, select teams in the United States. You know, you would equate it maybe to a select team or even a high school team, but the best players in each of those countries that will feed into the national program or into USA basketball. That'd probably be the easiest comparison. Um, And then they all come together and compete for a gold, silver, and bronze medal. Uh, The difference between Division A and Division B is typically the Division A countries or programs are stronger. And when you have these European World Championships, the higher you finish, um, it allows you to be in Division A. But like the bottom two teams in Division A will slide to Division B. The top two teams in Division B will slide up to Division A. Um, so it's a big deal. I mean, these guys are competing for their country and uh, and obviously for a gold medal, very similarly uh, to what we're going to do when we go to Taipei. Now, what class, if, if these guys decided to come to the States and, and uh, attend college here and play, at our level, what class would they be in? Are they 2018 recruits, 19, 20? Yeah, the majority of them are 2018. I would say that uh, 85% were 2018, 10% were uh, 2019, and there was a handful of guys that were 2020. 
Um, the issue that you run into over there is um, how do you know if they're a professional? How right, do you, right. you know, how do you know if they're interested in, in coming to the U.S.? Um, so you spend a lot of your time uh, basically trying to track down a national team coach who probably is also a club team coach over there, uh, which feeds into a professional uh, club who's trying to protect their players and keep them there. So um, you end up spending an enormous amount of time on Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, trying to reach out to these kids and see if they have an interest. And then unfortunately, you uh, there's a lot of representatives of, of uh, kids, um, agents, whatever you want to call them, that are running around there as well. And you've got to ask them, okay, who wants to come to the States, who doesn't want to come to the States. Now, we had identified four or five kids that we knew that we were either recruiting or wanting to recruit prior to going over there. So at the end of the day, it wasn't like just a, a wild exploration trip. Right, right. Um, but, you know, kind of like Coach Painter went to Spain last year, I believe. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like I told Paint yesterday, I go, it, it, it's kind of like uh, being a news reporter. I mean, you walk in and, and you try and figure out, okay, hey, here's the angle or here's the player. Now I just, I just kind of follow the lead and, and just keep gathering more and more information. And, uh, he, you know, he agreed that that's probably the best comparison for it. And the reason that they can't have any professional experience is obviously because of NCAA rules. Uh, we had a situation, a uh, player of ours, Nimina Chalison, a few years ago, um, when it was a junior college player, and uh, found out when he agreed to play for us then that there was a little – he played with some professional clubs – uh, when he was basically of, of high school age back home in Serbia, the difference was he wasn't getting paid, but the NCAA considered some of the bus trips and like the post-game meals, they considered those extra benefits. So what it, what ended up happening was he had to pay like 90-some bucks and had to donate it to Charity. like the local United Way, mm -hmm. and then he had to sit two games. And that was his, that was his punishment from the NCAA. So... But 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 at the same time, we're trying to track down documents from people back there in Russia or in uh, in throughout Europe on these trips that he took, and the you know some of these guys, it's the last thing they want to do is try to track down documents. What do they care? So um, the question is this: the question always to me is, who was the original people who came up with the right punishment? Two games and ninety dollars. I mean, it has to be down somewhere, isn't it? Doesn't someone have to say, there's some, hey, how are we going to punish this guy? Right. There's well, some, here's the guide. There's some tiers. There's different tiers in terms of how much money you get, and then that equates to so many games, and then it equates to, like, in the NCAA, usually if it's under $200 that an extra benefit was supplied to a kid, you can pay that back. You can handle it internally with your own compliance people. It's no big deal. If it gets up over $200, then the NCAA has to weigh in and, well, take a look at it. I shouldn't be amazed that both of you are shaking your heads in affirmative because you already know these rules, but golly. Yeah. Right. But it, I mean, it's the NCAA has almost uh, created its own new task force or its own arm of the NCAA that is getting involved in the international recruiting. It used to be that, that they weren't. And so as long as when they went to Eurobasket or Google and they didn't see that Elliot Bloom had a pro contract out there, usually they kind of let those kids slide. Mm -hmm. But now once they've gotten in the middle of it, they've figured out that this is not a, 
a perfect process over there. And uh, these kids from age 12 on up are getting meals and bus trips because it's a different system. Um, it, you know, it's just a different world over there is the bottom line. And, and you know, there may be a kid who uh, is in a small town in, in Serbia and that club team may bring him to, you know, Belgrade and put him into a school so that he'll actually get weight training, he'll get coaching, um, and just have him go to school there. Well, they're giving him a scholarship, essentially. Right. And then those club teams think that, okay, well, I've given this kid a scholarship all the way through high school. He should feed into my club. Well, some kids don't want to do that. They want to come to the States. So now you've got, you know, a battle on your hands between the two. It's it's, it's an interesting deal. And this, this is the second year that college coaches are allowed to go over there and recruit this particular event? Correct. So essentially in July, you're going to get those three five-day windows. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets those. Um, it used to be that you, in order to, to attend one of these European championships or Slovakian championships, wherever you went, um, that you would have to be within those three-day windows. Well, now they've just basically made it that any European championship or international championship, you're allowed to attend the championship or the practices leading up to it. So as it relates to the U.S. and, say, USA basketball, um, when when Carson was in training for the uh, uh, Cairo games, I mean, there were some coaches because Cal took underclassmen that still have high school eligibility or yeah. There were some coaches that went and watched all of those practices and used it as recruiting. So now you've opened another angle right. um, um, that a lot of people get angry about. And just as they got July down to more manageable, it used to be the entire month of July practically. Now yes. it's down to three five-day windows, 15 days at the end of the month, a little bit more manageable. And now they've opened more things up. So how many days total were you over there? Uh, I left the thirtieth and came back on the seventh. So, so he so and now he's getting ready to turn around and go seventeen days to Taipei. So, and we may need to send that gift basket to your wife. I think is what we need to end up doing. Yeah, no, I actually might need Cliz to come over and mow the yard a couple times, and you know, send send some people over for that kind of retiring. stuff. Retiring. We need to absolutely get something something handled on the home front because you've totally been retired. gone a long a long time from the uh, the family. So speaking of the family and your background, uh, you grew up in Texas, San Antonio. Um, so talk uh, talk us through a little bit about uh, your you get through your childhood, decide to go play. Um, play college at Texas, end up at three seasons at Texas Lutheran. Um, talk us through that, and then what got you into coaching? Is it something you knew you wanted to do when you were a player? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that at all. Um, the, the bottom line on, on my career is that uh, coming out of high school, I was a good, solid player, you know, all district, all that kind of stuff. But I thought that I could play at Purdue or Texas or Duke. Um, I had a little bit of arrogance to me, and uh, – I decided that I would go to junior college for one year. My best friend and I, um, we go to a junior college called Ranger College. And uh, the town is so small, there's not a McDonald's, there's nothing. Um, and we're in the middle of West Texas. And uh, it, it wasn't the best environment. I mean, obviously, you can, you can imagine if there's, let's just say, 50 junior colleges in Texas, this is in the 
45th to 50 range. <laughs> um, but this guy sold us a dream. He was really good. And uh, my best friend and I went. We were high school teammates. So we get out there in the middle of nowhere and uh, probably a little spoiled. It was it was eye-opening. It was eye-opening. <laughs> and we had a practice one day where uh, I can't even think of Ken's last name, but, but Coach was about five foot six, maybe 200 pounds, a little portly guy. And uh, Denny Downing was his name, and, and Denny gets up and starts screaming at uh, Ken. And Ken was 6'7", 6'8", 225. And, uh, you know, he kind of he grabs him by his shirt, and then, you know, Ken kind of walks away, and, and he kind of pushes him in his back. And then all of a sudden you see Ken clenching his fist, and he comes and he swings at Coach. And if he would have connected with Coach we would have had an issue because I, I don't know that my man would have been able to survive it. But coach goes down and comes back up, you know, like a little boxer with his hands up ready to fight. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at this. I remember calling my mom that night and be like, Mom, hey, this kind of happened in practice, you know. And I knew it was time to go after that because it, 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 was, it was one thing after another. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I chased my dream. And uh, I found out the hard way that – the reality is is that you're getting recruited probably at the level you need to. I was a small college basketball player. Now, luckily for me, Texas Lutheran um, still had a scholarship, and uh, I was able to get half an academic scholarship and half a basketball scholarship. So then I went there for three years and three and a half years and, and was able to play and finish my career. But how I got into coaching, I've told this to, to a couple people since I've been here, is like I'm in my sophomore year and I'm taking accounting. And they called it baby accounting, like maybe 201, 202. And I'm struggling to get a seat. Like, I'm busting my tail. Um, and I had to keep a 3.0 or above because I was on half academic scholarship. And uh, I'm busting my tail. And, and I go to my advisor kind of the spring of my sophomore year. And the guy's like, hey, you know, this was, you got to see in this class, most of the people that go into the business school are, are knocking this out with an A or B easily. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm humping it to get this. I'm getting tutoring and everything. And he's like, well, you know, maybe if baby accounting's a, the easiest one and there's five more of them, you, you might want to think about something different. I'm like, you're damn right. I should think about something different. I go, I'm not very smart, but I'm not stupid. So, you know, I, I had a great um, high school basketball coach. I had a very good uh, college basketball coach and, and looked up to both those guys. So, it was just easy for me. It was like, well, this is what I know. Um, and then I went into education and, and kind of got the ball rolling from there. So your first, uh, you, you finish up at Texas Lutheran. Your first uh, first job is where? Uh, at the University of Incarnate Word. So like I finish and uh, again, I'm a small college basketball player, but I'm, I'm not the best, you know, and uh, we played in the heart of Texas Conference, which Incarnate Word was in the conference. So I, I'm, I'm again, trying to get all these Division One graduate assistant jobs. I sure. send out letters to Purdue I, across the country, and, you know, a handful of them say thanks, but no thanks. The majority never say anything. So I'm, I'm trying to get a graduate assistant job at two of the schools in San Antonio, thinking I could live at home and get a master's. One was St. Mary's, one was Incarnate Word. Well, St. Mary's offered me a job, but I decided to take the second graduate assistant job at Incarnate Word because I felt like that that head coach was more mobile. The other guy had been there for 40 years. He wasn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. I felt like the younger guy was going to be successful and move. And um, 
So he offers me a job, $2,000 for 10 months minus taxes. So I made 186.13 a month. I worked in the bars Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday 11 to six. And I made as much money as I could. I lived at home and saved it and then, then worked during the year. And uh, I didn't get grad school paid for the first year and it was $1,000 a graduate class. So you had to take two each semester. So I was already in the hole, you know what I mean? <laughs> just paying for this um and it was chris beard and i we were the the two graduate assistants at incarnate word chris is now the head coach at texas tech chris left after a year and went to uh i believe abilene christian then and then arson saw little rock if you'd like to remember yeah yeah and then i stayed and i took his job and then the other guy left and got a head coaching job so i took his job and i just kind of bumped up you know so uh, after year four you know we're uh you know, I'm probably making twenty thousand dollars full time assistant in AIA Division One. And you thought it was all the money in the world? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just bought my Absolutely. first car. Yeah. I had my first car. My payment was four oh six eighty four a month. And uh, well, the side story on that one is so Mike Budenholzer, the head coach of the Hawks, he is the assistant video coordinator um, for the Spurs at this time as I'm coming through Incarnate Word. Well, a guy named Reed Martinka was a head video coordinator. He leaves. Well, Mike, the Spurs practiced at Incarnate Word, so I got to know those guys really, really well. Mike tells me, hey, listen, you should come take this assistance video coordinator job. I got the head one. You know, we'll work together. It'll be great. Paid ten grand. And I'm, I'm again, I'm not a math major, but I'm thinking four oh six eighty four a month, ten grand. How am I going to pay my car payment? I ain't going to be able to work in the bars like I did, you know. All right. So I didn't take the job. Well, it was either that year or the year after they won the, you know, the world title. And, and he tells me he's like, "Yeah, the assistant video coordinator got um, bonuses, you know, because the players and in the organization in, in excess of sixty grand." <laughs> so I'm just like, "Yeah, yeah." But that happens to everybody. I mean, everybody misses on those opportunities, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh well. What you talk about when you're talking about these different guys that you come in contact to? Any any coach at this level has those stories that you know. Oh, this guy used to be here. This guy used to be here. And I think what I've found over the years is some of our players um, that have come through the program here that want to get into coaching. When you play at this level, a lot of them want to coach at this level, and they don't realize how many guys have started out. Uh, the places you start out, Coach Painter started out at Washington Jefferson under Coach Ryder and in Pittsburgh, and then Barton Community College and in, in North Carolina and things like that. You go places like that, and you you just work your way up. And a lot of guys nowadays, not just guys that have played here, but a lot of players who play at the D1 high major level, they can't wrap their head around the fact that they may need to go to a place like that to start and just cut their teeth and just work. And that's, uh, that's the way it works a lot of times in these things. So uh, a real quick story with Incarnate Word. So they at the time you were there, they weren't Division One. No, we were NAI yeah, and, and transferred to NCAA Division Two. And they've since become Division One. We played them here in Mackey a few years ago, and I put our non-conference schedule together. And so I'm at, we're at practice, and we're getting ready to play them the following year. And, and so Cliz and Rob Blackman are – radio guys were sitting there at a shoot around and they said well, hey if you got the schedule done for next year i said yeah pretty much and i start going through the dates and i said and on this day we have incarnate word coming to town 
And I mean, they looked at me like I had half my face missing. And they, they said, Incarnate Word? Who is that? I said, hey, I said, don't don't sleep on Incarnate Word. I said, they actually have a pretty good program. We play them the next year, beat them, and then the following year. So they don't let me forget about it. Okay, they bring this up a lot. That well, Who would schedule Incarnate Word? So the next year they play at Nebraska. No doubt. And I said, so the day of, we played that same day and we're at shoot so we're, Yeah, we're watching this game. And I said, hey, uh, I said, they could get Nebraska. I said, that's a typical midweek game. I said, when a team doesn't take another team serious, I said, you watch. Oh, you're crazy. I mean, they jumped on me. So in the middle of the game, I look over to Chris Foreman and I said, I go, hey, what's that Nebraska score? He said, Incarnate Word's up six, you know, like three to go. <laughs> so, boy, they didn't, they didn't, I had let them hear about that for a couple of weeks afterwards. Incarnate Word ended up winning the game. Well, and then I did some research and found out uh, they had pretty good people down at Incarnate Word. It was just, um, hey, when you've been in this game for 45 years and you've never heard of them, and I've heard of a lot of people. We've scheduled a lot of people, you know. <laughs> so right. And so I'm thinking, really, incarnate word, San Antonio. But then I did research on them, and they've been pretty good with some pretty good people. So. So then you move on. Did you go to Stephen F. Austin then from Incarnate Word? No, I, I left and went to uh, Garden City Community College. Oh, okay. Yep. So there I went in to Texas Junior too. Co- no, that's in Kansas. Kansas. Oh yeah, Kansas. Coach Katie's. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and at that time, that's when, uh, you know, the Jayhawk Conference was really, really good. Um, you know, it, each team had four or five high major players and then two three mid-major. I mean, it was very, very good at that time. And I was there for a year or ten months, and then Danny Casper left um, Incarnate Word and went to Stephen F. Austin and hired me back. And uh, I was there for six years. Um, but it wasn't the Stephen F. Austin – uh, then that it is today. I mean, they had won nine games the year prior and four games the year previous to that. So, you know, they were on hard times, and, and it took, uh, I want to say our we won nine games, 13 games, 17 maybe, and then 21-21, and uh, then we had, a, we had kind of a, no, we had a 21, and then we had a down year at like 17, 16 again, and then 21 again. So but either so, way. So then from Stephen F. Austin to SMU? To SMU. Worked for Matt Doherty at SMU. Was there for four years. Um, hmm. You know, was uh, was good to, to kind of uh, be in the Metroplex and, and strengthen those ties because Stephen F. Austin was out in northeast Texas, so you were driving quite a bit, you know, just to get to Well, Dallas. you had a hard time getting out of Texas, didn't you? Yeah, I did. It's a big state. Yeah. So, then that, so then that's the... To me, what the interesting next question would be is, so you go from SMU to Creighton. Yep. So what led you to, first of all, get out of your comfort zone, state of Texas, or not your comfort zone, but yeah. your familiarity. Sure. Um, and, and how did that transition happen? How did that all arise? Yep. So my first out of my leap of faith, so to speak, was Garden City. Like when I left Incarnate Word, yeah, we were number true. one in the country. And in my mind, I'm saying, okay, um, what else are we going to do here, right? And I'm 25, six years old, and I'm saying to myself, okay, I, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it. it. Well, Jeremy Cox was the assistant at UT San Antonio, and he and I got to be friends. Well, he got the Garden City job uh, the previous year or something, and we, we maintained contact. And he's like, hey, listen, you can come here, and, and you can double or triple your network. 
because you're going to recruit the best players in the country to come here, so you're going to meet all those people. But then we're going to have really good players, so you're going to now meet all the people coming to recruit our players. And he yeah. was 100 percent right. Absolutely, yeah, 100 percent right. And it was the best thing for me. I needed to get away from San Antonio and uh, not not my family, but you know, I just need to grow up a little bit. And and uh, so Garden City was the best. And then uh, Stephen F. SMU. And so year four, um, we were still just kind of okay. Um, at SMU, and it was a different time. They they still had really really hard restrictions on us in terms of recruiting and and admittance into the university and that sort of stuff. Um, Matt Doherty did not have the same uh, free reign that Larry Brown did. Right. So Imagine I'm that. looking I'm looking at it as four years, and uh, I'm saying, man, you know, if he's got two years left on his contract, you know, it's probably time time to to look. But I knew we'd be good the next year. And they were. They won 21 or 22 games the following year and made postseason. But um, I'm sitting at a restaurant with uh, Pat Knight. Uh, maybe Mark Turgeon was there. It was the Big 12 meetings were in Dallas. And we were we were out uh, at dinner and, and having a beer. And McDermott, Coach McDermott, calls Pat and says, hey, uh, do you know Steve Lutz? Pat's the head coach at Texas Tech at the time. And he's like, yeah, I'm actually sitting here with him right now, you know, at, at uh, this restaurant. He's like, well, ask him if he has an interest in my job because McDermott just left Iowa State for Creighton. Okay. And uh, he hired Darren DeVries, who had been there for like 15 years, who's an Iowa guy and recruits up that area. He hired Steve Murfield, who's a Wisconsin guy. Former Evansville coach. Former Evansville coach. And he's a Midwestern guy. So in his mind, he's saying, all right, I need to get somebody else that can go recruit elsewhere and uh, strengthen my staff. So uh, he reaches out to Pat, and then he had reached out to Barry Henson as well. And both of those guys you know, said, said my name, and, and he calls me, and I come up uh, a couple weeks later. No, a couple days later now that I think about it. And uh, interview during the College World Series, everything went well, and uh, I went back, and he, you know, he offered me the job, and I went back and sat with Matt Doherty. You know, Matt's like, ah, I don't think you should take it. Blah blah blah. This is a Friday, and I'm like, well, you know, all right, why not? And we went through the 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 pluses and minuses of it all, and then come Sunday afternoon, um, I'm mowing my yard, middle of the afternoon, and. I guess our house phone rings. Our house phone never rang. And it's Matt. Matt's called my cell phone a couple times. He called my house phone. And he says to me, hey, Steve, you need to take that job. And I was like, ah, right, what's up? And he's like, ah, just some internal things here. You know, I don't, I don't see this ending well. Which I, to this day, I tell people, no matter what anyone ever says about Matt Doherty and, and his past or future, that man did right by me and my family. Because you know, he, he knew the end was near and, and said, hey, you need to take this job. So, you know, I, I took the job that night and I walk into the office Monday morning. He offers me like $25,000 and associate head coach title. I, I changed my mind. You know, that's just <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. showing how coaches are. Yeah. Uh, and uh, long story short is I left. And then we get Doug McDermott to become Doug McDermott and we're all smart. And seven <laughs> seven years later. Well, and, and some glory years at Creighton when you were there. I mean, uh, you know, the McDermott years, but also the transition from the Missouri Valley to the Big East that it is now. Um, and now is considered, 
you know, it's the best league outside the, you know, quote-unquote BCS conferences for sure. Here's a, here's something a lot of people don't know, though, as I get on mic, is that we were in Omaha just a few years ago for the NCAA, and we hadn't crossed paths with that city in our in my career here, which is a lot of years. And, um, man, we had a heck of a trip out there, and then when, and we practiced at Creighton's facilities, and then we saw where you played, and all of a sudden it was like, wow. Yeah, I mean, if anybody thinks that uh, this isn't a big league, they're out of their mind because it was. It was really, it was really impressive to see, and one of the best NCAA venues we've ever been at. Yeah, great ever. venue, and to think that that's your home venue is fantastic, and a size town too, where you've got a lot of people. <clears throat> there's a lot of money there with the insurance uh, industry and stuff, and there's. Um, rabbit fan base i mean you're the only game in town basically so yeah no doubt i mean we averaged uh, over seventeen thousand. oh it was wild game. it was it's, really it's eye-opening eye yeah it was a great trip the only and i remember we we had shoot around the day of the game we played kansas and to this day is the game that i'm still the only game i'm still not well there's two but it's one of the two games i'm still not over um because we had the game won. They were the two seed. We were the ten, seven seed or ten seed, one of the two. We had beaten St. Mary's the game before, I think. Yeah. And uh, led the whole game, and we lost it at the end. And it was in front of a entirely Kansas building. So, um, But the day of the game, we practiced on campus in an upstairs gym, mm-hmm. an old-school gym, yeah. wooden backboards and everything. Yeah. So... It would be the equivalent to our upper Lambert here, if Purdue fans are familiar with that at all. There's some old uh, goals up there, wooden backboards and things. And as we're going through our shoot-around for that day, um, Hummel's on that team, DJ Bird, uh, Lewis Jackson, Ryan Smith. I mean, nobody's missing. Nobody's missing. And I don't... I usually don't put too much stock into a shoot-around because I, you've seen it both ways. And, and you guys have both been around long enough. You've seen some days where everybody's making everything, then that night they don't miss. Uh, the same thing. You know, the opposite happens. So I'm watching, and I look at the radio guys, and I go, guys, we haven't missed a shot in like 20 minutes. And, I mean, we're shooting threes. I mean, we're, we're hitting everything. I said, man, I said, we got a real good shot tonight. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. So we go out, lead the whole game, and don't get it done. And it's still one of the most painful games. But that trip to Omaha, as Larry said, was a great, great trip. And that was a great uh, a great venue for that. So I, I'm assuming that the NCAA will get back to, uh, to Omaha as I guess my point is, is that when you mention Creighton, it doesn't ring like Duke or Kentucky or even Xavier yet. But it's, it's pretty impressive. And uh, so when people say to me, well, you know, hey, you're playing Creighton, and I say, yeah, you better watch out because they, they know what they're doing. Well, and you he, guys. And if, he, if those guys don't lose their point guard last year, yeah. you know, they could have made a lot of noise. And that's what's impressive, too, is after McDermott leaves, you guys were able to be top 10 last year and everything. So so you get through the Creighton years, and then uh, what, what drew you to have interest in joining Coach Painter and us here at Purdue? Yeah, kind of the same deal as, uh, I, I, especially with this, though. I, I've never really, other than maybe SMU, I knew I kind of needed to leave. Um, I never really chased a job. They just kind of always worked out and appeared. Um, you know, I'm sitting at home during the Final Four on a Thursday, and, and 
my phone rings with Matt Painter and, and coach and I have known each other a little bit on the road, but not like uh, one of those deals where, where every time I see him, we, we go have dinner and talk hoops or we're very close. Um, so, you know, long story short is, is I wasn't expecting it. And then as I talked to him and he's explaining to me about um, Purdue, the Big Ten, um, his philosophy on on his staff and coaches and and helping guys in their career paths become head coaches and those sorts of things um i mean it it just kind of resonated with me and so i i didn't really probably the first conversation i didn't give it a whole lot of thought and then i got a call from another friend and he says hey do you, you know are you really interested in this job blah 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 and i'm i'm you know so i started thinking more and more about it and uh, talked to my wife that night and then paint calls again the next day and then we talked for a, a long time. And uh, our philosophies were very similar in terms of, uh, you know, the way of running a program and, and having good kids and good people. And defensively, he likes to play very similar to, similarly the way I like to play. And, um, you know, he said that I'd be able to have a, a, a large hand in our defense. And... My daughter, my oldest daughter, is going is a freshman now. So, I, like in my mind, I'm thinking, hmm, this if you're gonna take a, a job, this is a, t- a good time to take a job. And uh, I had interviewed for some head coaching jobs um, in the past, and, and and came up a little short for one reason or another. And you know, it, it just seemed like the right fit. I mean, the Big Ten Conference obviously is one of the best in the United States, and um, Coach Painter has a uh, strong um, will to win and to will uh, to win at a high level. You know, he wants to win a national title, and, and I get it. I have those chances and those opportunities don't come along very often. Um, you know, we had a chance before we lost our point guard probably this past year at Creighton, um, and it, you know, it, it just uh, resonated with me just to to come somewhere and, and be a part of something new and something different. You talked about the track record Coach has of his assistants going on to get head coaching jobs. It is quite amazing, um, the guys that have come through here. We've been very lucky. I mean, uh, Conzo Martin and Paul Lusk and Rick Ray and now Jack Owens. Um, for Coach to still be a young coach in the profession, I'm talking about Coach Painter, uh, and yet to have that many guys go out and get head coaching jobs, is uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty amazing, to be honest. Um but I think that speaks to a couple things. I think Coach works really hard at getting his guys out there and getting them noticed. But also, I think it's, it has comes down to the respect level that people have for Coach uh, Painter and the program he runs and the things that he does here at Purdue. So, what was your impression of Purdue before you got here, and then and then how did that how does that equate to the reality now that you've been here for a while? Like, yeah, what know, were some of the differences? I, you know, I didn't have a. Uh... I didn't have a picture in my mind of, of what Purdue was going to be. I'd seen a few games on TV. Um, but, uh, like, I think that Purdue and Creighton are very similar in that when I call a recruit on the East Coast or the West Coast and I say Purdue or I said Creighton, it's not like they think Duke or North Carolina. I mean, you just don't have that name pop. Right. You know, and I don't mean that as disrespectfully, but it is what it is in the eyes of an 18-year-old. Um so, you know, there's things, there's initial things that you have to overcome a little bit. But then if you, and when those kids dig a little bit deeper, they find out that 
this place is unbelievable. I mean, you're going to play in fourteen in front of fourteen thousand every single night. Um, you know, the the town and the university revolves around athletics and specifically basketball. And um, you know, the Big Ten obviously is is the you know one of the premier conferences in the United States. And and your television package is phenomenal. So you have a, a lot of really good things to sell, but. You know, you you got to get past that. You might you might not be the sexiest girl next door from the beginning. Right. So I didn't have a, a preconceived notion by any means. But you know, once I got here, it's uh, it's been neat to be back into a, a an environment where it's it's a college town or a college city, however you want to say it, where everything revolves around the university, and um, you know, you're held in in fairly high regard. You know, the good part of that is that when you go to the store, you know, there's probably somebody that's going to say, hey, coach, how you doing? How's right. the team? All that kind of stuff. Um, you know, sometimes the bad, if, if you lose a game, <laughs> <laughs> you might want to send your wife to the store instead of you going to get that milk. But, um, you know, that's just part of it. I'd rather, I'd rather be at a place like this where it means something to everyone in this, in this community. And, uh, you know, they feel like they're a part of it. And when we win, it, it's really, really special to them. Um, I, I don't do this to, uh, for ego by any means, but I, I do it, you know, for, for young people and then obviously to, to win and, and compete at a high level. Well, I'm really anxious for you to have your first Mackey experience. Um, you know, we're going to play obviously an exhibition game and then we'll play you know the non-conference games but and that's one that's one level of it but that first major game which will probably be louisville when there'll be that real buzz in the air like you're going to walk down that ramp and that paint crew is going to be loaded up and every seat's going to be packed and it's it's a pretty special place we're obviously biased um, but i've been I've, I've worked at two of the best, if not the two best, and uh, been to a, a slew of others, and uh, obviously uh, Larry be, has. What would that be, uh, Kansas and Duke? Are you yeah. talking about Kansas and And, and you've Duke? been everywhere else. Um, there's few that, that top Mackey when it's full and going. So it's uh, I, I'm really looking forward to that for you, uh, to see kind of your reaction to that, because we do have a definite uh, home court advantage. Um, in fact, I, Chris Foreman, our SID, tweeted something the other day that in the last 33 home games with students in attendance, we're 32 and one. I think he was responding to somebody on Twitter that was talking about the best home court advantages in America, and that's a pretty good uh, a pretty good number, and, and one that you could put with just about anybody around the country um, in that regard. So, um, well, that's uh, going to take us to in, into our final segment, the final four questions. This is the uh, final four off-topic questions that we have for our guest each week. Uh, first question to uh, new assistant coach Steve Lutz: uh, What is your go-to music of choice? Well, let me ask you real quick: Like, if I get these correct, do I get a better gift basket, or, or? Well, your your wife is already getting a better gift basket just from the simple fact that you've been gone so much. So we are going to we're going to hook her up. I don't think you're going to get anything extra. Uh, number one preset on the XM dial is Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. Really. Hmm. I did know that answer because my office here sits catty corner to Steve's, and I hear Buffett coming out of there quite a bit. So, yeah, Elliot's got a little more diversity in his. Uh, that's probably it's surprises. But but Buffett's in my. Uh, I've seen Jimmy Buffett several times live, and that's always a good time. I had a friend just saw him last month down in uh, Florida, Daytona Beach, I believe it was, or, or no, South, my West Palm. West Palm, yeah, yeah. 
good living he's had now living mm. on beaches uh, and yeah. islands and yeah. piloting around and playing music what's even more amazing is when you look at his his numbers you know his numbers selling records and things like that and where you know charts have been and stuff like that. it's amazing it's amazing how commercial that guy has been no I, doubt i mean unbelievable. there's a big uh misconception sometimes by people about jimmy buffett because he is so commercialized with his margaritaville restaurants and bars and things like that um that he is kind of uh i don't know what the word is cheesy or something like that but he's not like he, if you examine his songs he's a super talented guy a brilliant songwriter in fact bob dylan at one point i saw a bob dylan quote that said he was one of his favorite songwriters so um you can't go wrong with Jimmy Buffett. Second question of the final four is, um, what is the best recent book you've read or maybe your favorite book of all time? Mm. I am, like, my, my problem with with the transition is I'm, I'm kind of split amongst books. Like, I was kind of halfway through the Bill Parcells book, and I started um, the book of an education of a coach. Um, which which has been very good. It's been about Bill Belichick. Um, but then on the plane the other day, um, I started reading uh, How to Read a Person Like a Book. And so I've got like all three of these just kind of sitting around and I'm not watching, or not reading enough of them, any of them enough, I should say. That would be a good book for recruiting, especially, I would think. Right. Which is probably why you read. So is that your main genre is uh, sports books? Yeah. I mean, I don't read enough. Um, just to kill time, you know. I don't read a whole lot of fiction books. You know, I, I've, I've read obviously some books that pertain to your family, like you know, strong fathers, strong daughters, that kind of stuff. You know, stuff to help you, um, you know, raise a good family and all that. But if if it's not sports related, yeah, typically I'm not. Right. What are you I, reading, Larry? Uh, the last one I pulled out was two days ago. It was a 1999 book that I bought at Kent at uh, Penn State. Um, on a trip over there. The beauty of this book is that I wrote inside what I intended to do with this book and then I revisited this book 13 years after the fact and then I have revisited again (laughs) and wrote in there as well. It's a book on Qigong which is um, you know an offshoot of Tai Chi which is basically massage um, yoga, uh, anything to keep a 70-year-old with some type of mobility. So I've gone to these mobility exercises, and now I've added the eight brocades of uh, Qigong right in there with them every morning, so now I can actually bend over and pick up things off the ground, and I feel really good. I'm trying to get into some strength training. And so I'm hoping to become a whole new person. The most interesting man in the world. Just, I mean, <laughs> now, I will say this to our listeners. If you ever see Larry out, ask him. go up and ask him what he's reading because I guarantee you it will be some of the most... Um, un, un, oh, and one other thing I'm, I'll bring up while you bring this up too is my new fascination with quantum jumping. Yeah, I've heard that you've told me. Oh yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess well, I, I did. I was say, yeah, quantum jumping. It, 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 that's that's another one that I'm really interested in at the moment, along with you know historic things as always. But 
That's one of the, but Qigong right now, that's the one I'm, I'm going oh, to. Completely. Now, there's one other book that I, I have really been interested in, but I won't reveal that to either one of you, but uh, because it's a little, but it has been interesting. It's a teaching manual. <laughs> he is, but it's always <laughs> off-the-wall topics. I mean, he'll go from this to he's reading a book on dogs, and now he's reading a book on how to grow a better tomato, things like that. So. <laughs> I want to see this quantum jumping out of Oh, I, you'll enjoy it. Look it up. Oh, my Google God. it. Okay, third question of the final four. What profession, other than being a coach, if you could just wave a wand, would you like to do? No training required. What profession other than coaching? Hmm. Can you call a stay-at-home dad a profession? Sure. Sure, you can do, uh, any, you can do anything you want. I, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I like, yeah, I'm, I'm for that. Like, stay-at-home dad, maybe being a, a fishing guide or something, you know? Fishing guide? You can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, something out, outdoors that probably doesn't require a lot of brain activity. Maybe reading poetry up on a mountaintop in Italy with a with a pet goat. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was Cliz's uh, ambition. After, after our, our trip, after to, our Italy, trip yeah. to Italy, he went through about a two year phase <laughs> where his goal in life was to retire on a hillside in Italy, where he could read poetry and have a, a pet goat. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, and he idea, would have yeah. these pictures of pet goats on his phone, <laughs> and he would show us. <laughs> I think that's perfect. Uh, uh, yeah. Steve has no idea what he's gotten himself uh, into. Wait till we start traveling, and uh, all the just buffoonery comes out. Okay, last question of the final floor. What is one thing that either no one or not many people know about you? Um... Obviously, we already kind of touched on the Jimmy Buffett thing. I mean, like most people don't get that about me. If uh, well, he's a Florida Keys guy, and you're a Texan. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're sure. a Texan. I mean, um, what they don't know about me, you know, a ten-gallon hat in your no, no, no closet or anything. Hat, yeah. You don't, wear cow- really. you don't wear cowboy boots. I don't have any cowboy boots. I was going to get some cowboy boots for Christmas last summer. I mean, last uh, Christmas when we went. So we rotate every year. My family's all in Texas and Shannon's family's in Kansas City. So we rotate years. Well, last year was back in Texas. And my mom buys my son Jackson some boots every year that we go back. And Jackson loves his cowboy boots. And he's like, Dad, Dad, come on, man. Get you know, get some cowboy And I was going to, but they didn't have my size. Uh, no boots. Um, you know, I probably the the thing that people maybe don't know is I'm the youngest of six, hmm. and uh, my mother didn't work. She was a, a house mom. I mean, she would substitute teach and stuff like that. She she raised all of us for the most part. My dad worked at the telephone company for 46 years, never missed a day of work. Hmm. Wow! And uh, when I graduated um, college. I got my first suit for college graduation. I wore it to my dad's retirement party. And so he was a telephone linesman. So he repaired phones from the the line to the house or whatever. And he spent his day talking on a, uh, not walkie-talkie, but, uh, you know, you're talking. Kind of a two-way radio. Two-way radio, sure, with these ladies. And they dispatched him from point A to B to C, whatever. And so we go to his... uh, his retirement party and he's never met these ladies now he knows their voices and you know so i'm standing there with my dad and uh this lady says hey leroy that was his name obviously and um 
he whips around and he's like, Amy? And she goes, yeah. And they, you know, and then they explain the story, how he's never met this lady, but for probably the last 15 years, she's the voice that he hears on the other line. And like three or four of the other people that, that, uh, were on this, um, dispatch unit, you know, they came to his retirement party and, you know, some of them had retired as well. It was a neat, neat deal. Wow. That's pretty cool. That is very cool. All right. Well, that wraps up episode 22 here on the podcast with the assistant coach, Steve Lutz. Um, Steve, thanks for coming on. No problem, guys. I had a great time. All right. Larry, any parting shots? No. Good luck over in uh, Thailand. Taiwan. Taiwan. Well, yeah, that's the difference. Taipei. We leave, uh, we leave in a couple days, a 17-day trip for Boiler Ball, so we will uh, not have a podcast in between. We, I we're do not... remember, uh, you know, I was in the service in uh, Okinawa in 1968 to 1970, and we used, to, uh, we used to have some Army teams who used to always go over to Taiwan and play especially baseball would travel over there because they were a big baseball area even back then you know a little bit of the Japanese culture although they're Chinese but yeah everyone I've heard uh, and I have some friends have been there say so it's uh, it's really a really cool place to go I know you guys will be functioning in a in a tight situation but yeah they say it's really cool in a couple but, days we'll get out and about but my only question is like I, don't we usually have the radio guy go to our games? Uh, I mean, we, you, you got well, you got a date in the Florida your, Keys that, that you gonna, can't break. If our games weren't uh, going to be you're going to have three a.m. local time. You have uh, two. Here. You have you have two radio guys going to be working the next two nights on our stream games, which will be uh, coming up uh, with Canada the exhibition. Yeah, games. Our exhibition Rob games. and I are going to do those games, but uh, uh, no, we we figured that uh, this would be a good time to take a break eight games in 12 days is way out of my reach <laughs> 17 days in a dorm in an athlete's village did not sound appealing. it's really not my cup of tea coach but you know sometimes you got to sacrifice but isn't there a time that age and time you do get some advantages absolutely you get, right you're okay. a shot caller okay. you're a shot caller yeah there you here. go yeah so when uh, we get back we plan to have coach painter on and we'll uh, kind of break down the uh Taipei trip, World University Games recap, and then uh, by that point we'll be into September and we'll be into uh, nearing the start of practice, which is September 29th this year. Really, so, 29th, huh? Yep. So it's all around the corner, uh, but this has been episode 22 of the Boiler Ball podcast. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.